again, Happy New Year to you for me as well. And uh, uh, again, we, we don't know what this year will bring, uh, certainly in a lot of ways, uh, but we know who controls it all. And uh, so it's, uh, and I want, so I, in thinking of a new year, um, if you have your notes again, uh, flip the other side. I think one of the greatest truths in Scripture that will help us and encourage us in a new year is really thinking seriously about the omniscience of God, what God knows. Uh, again, 1 John 3.20, and he knoweth all things. But do our actions betray <laughs> or do they reveal that we really do believe that God knows all things. Um, many years ago, um, we realized that ideas drive the world. Uh, Karl Marx, uh, of course, had some ideas about economies, and he called it communism. And we know that over the last, most of the 20th century, most of our world has been under the, the, the ideology of communism. Right now, there's a billion or more Chinese that are following that philosophy. But, but if you were to go to China, some of your people are there now, you're thinking about China a lot right now, uh, would you be, the person on the street, could they expound to you, okay, what are the underpinnings of communism? What are, what are the philosophies of communism? They probably wouldn't be able to tell you. You know, example, there's some teenagers today, you've seen some of them probably, they dress in black, they mutilate their bodies, uh, they listen to rock music that deal with death all the time. Uh, but they probably never read a philosophy book on nihilism. They go, what in the world is that? But that philosophy controls everything that they do. Uh, millions of Americans today follow a philosophy of postmodernism. You wouldn't be able to, they wouldn't be able to tell you what the underpinnings or the philosophy of postmodernism is, but it governs their daily lives. You see, wrong ideas have devastating effects. Well, the same is true about our belief in God. Do you believe that he really is omniscient? Do you believe he is all-loving? Do you believe he is holy? Well, if you believe these things, there should be some actions that reveal it that should be shown in your behavior. Again, belief affects behavior. Of course, that's the first principle in your notes. The principle is explained. The principle explained. What is the principle? Well, belief affects behavior. Belief affects behavior. When you're going down the highway and all of a sudden you hear a little beeping sound come out of your dashboard and a little flashing light shows up next to your gas gauge, do you believe the gas gauge that says you're almost on empty and you, you better get off of the next exit so you can get some more gas? Or, you know, I know my gas gauge really well. I got another 20, 30 miles I can go. And, and so you're, whether you get off the exit or not is going to be determined by how much you believe the accuracy of your gas gauge. Now, I'm one of those guys who just keeps on going down the road. <laughs> I got 50 more miles, you know, I can make it. Uh, I don't want to stop for gas. But it could be a devastating effect. Um, what does the Bible tell us? Well, Luke chapter 6, verse 45 says, A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth that which is good. It's all a heart matter. It's a belief. It's a faith. It's what we have inside of us that affects our outward actions. Because uh, the verse continues, an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. 
So where are the treasures of your heart? Uh, it's what we think. It's what we believe. And those things will ultimately come out in our actions. Uh, letter B, you know, it's that we, 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 we sometimes practice what I call practical atheism. And practical atheism exists. Well, when does it exist? Well, when our behavior does not affect our belief uh, or is not affected by our belief. Uh, an American Bible study once did a study. And they, realized, they actually polled thousands of Americans and found that the majority of people in America believe that the Bible contains the best advice for a meaningful life. But they also discovered that the majority of people hadn't read the Bible or a majority didn't want to read the Bible or they wouldn't obey the Bible. You know, there's, not a, there's a disconnect there. They believe the Bible is good, but, not going to, but their actions are betraying that belief. So our actions sometimes betray our true beliefs. We may say we believe a certain thing, but how we act reveals it. So what is the doctrine of um, 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 the omniscience of God? What does it mean? So we'll look at number two in your notes. The doctrine understood. The doctrine understood. What is the definition of omniscience? Well, it's the fact that God knows all and he is all wise. There's the truth. God knows all and he is all wise. David declared that in Psalm 139, 1 through 4. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. I have a God who is right close by and he's watching observing he's searching and he knows me verse 2 thou knowest my down sittings and my uprising he knows when i get up when i go down uh thou understand my thoughts afar off it means way in the past he understood what my thoughts will be in the future he knows every thought i'm ever going to have in my life verse 3 thou compasses my path and my lying down thou art clean with all my ways there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. You know, uh, I can put an app on my phone, and if I take a hike, when I finish taking that hike, I can go back to that app, and that app will tell me, show me a map of where I've been. It will also tell me how far I've gone. It will also tell me how many steps I took. But God knew that eons ago, because he is omniscient. He knows every thought, every word, every desire, every way. You cannot hide from him. Isaiah says the same thing. Isaiah chapter 40 says, uh, tells us that God cannot learn. Do you realize that God can never be taught anything? God never learns because he knows it all already, not to teach him anything. Isaiah says, who hath directed the spirit of the Lord? Or who being his counselor hath taught him? The obvious answer is no one. Verse 14, Isaiah 40 verse 14. With whom took he counsel and who instructed him? And taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him his knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding. Do you ever wonder why God doesn't come down to us and consult us before he does things? Don't you like to be consulted when people do things in your house? Wait, 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 you didn't get my permission to, do, to change the furniture around the house. Uh, you didn't get permission to, do, to buy that thing and put it in my front room. Uh, we went, do we, don't you want God to, you know, shouldn't, shouldn't he consult us first? Well, of course not. We trust him. You know, John makes it very clear. First John chapter one, First John three verse nineteen. He says, "Hereby we know that we are of the truth, and there is a truth out there, and Jesus is the truth, and shall assure our hearts before Him, because when we know the truth and we accept the truth, our hearts are assured." In verse twenty, for if our heart condemneth, God is greater than our heart, and He knoweth all things. 
Again, do we really believe that? We can trust God, what he communicates to us by his word. So the Bible not only declares the fact that God is omniscient, but let her be in your notes, we know that omniscience of God is evidenced. Again, it's evidenced by his intelligent design and his infinite understanding. So God's omniscience is evidenced by his intelligent design and his infinite understanding. What does Psalm 139.14 say? I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and thy soul knoweth right well. Again, he understands everything about my human body, everything he created. He knows how many hairs I have on my head. I don't know why he would want to know that, but he does. He, the Bible tells us in Psalm 147, that he has given every star a name. That's a lot of names. He knows every one of them. We're surrounded by the evidence that God has all knowledge and has infinite design. So the Bible doesn't always declare it, and he shows us evidence, but we also understand, let us see, that the omniscience of God is illustrated. And it's illustrated most plainly by the fact that his, all the prophecies in the Old Testament have, that are referring to Jesus Christ or other things in the past have all been fulfilled. Uh, Genesis 15, 13, God told Abraham that Israel was going to go into captivity in Egypt. It happened. Isaiah 7, 14, Isaiah says that Christ's birth was going to be by a virgin, and it was. Micah 5, 2 tells us that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, and he was. Jeremiah 29 and for 2 Chronicles 36, um, God gives a prophecy that the people of Israel were going to be 70 years of captivity in Babylon, and it happened. Daniel was a testimony to that. So we, we can look at numbers, hundreds of prophecies that have been fulfilled because of the knowledge of God. You realize that most liberal, um, call them liberal commentators, uh, they, they cannot believe that all the prophecies are actually real prophecies. That's why you, you look at the dates when they say, well, this book was written in this certain date. You'll notice that they'll put that date after a prophecy has been filled because they believe that prophecies were so clearly fulfilled that it had to be told after it happened because they're so clear. Well, we believe they were written long before, and God, in his omniscience, knew all that and told them about it. And we have a book of Revelation that tells us continue what the new future will be. But do we live based on that future? You know, Paul, you know, Paul told his people in Philippians that we are already citizens of heaven. That's, that's future for us. But it really is reality for us now because it's so certain it will happen. And so we have to believe in the omniscience of God. But... If we believe in the omniscience of God, what behaviors of ours should change or be affected by that belief? So I'm going to look at number three in your notes, the behavior displayed, the behavior displayed. Again, belief affects behavior. And when that behavior is, then what behaviors do we show when life happens? How does it affect our daily lives? What What are others seeing in our lives that reveal our belief in an omniscient God. Well, first, our behavior is revealed in a negative way. I call it unbelief. The letter A in your notes, the sinful reality of our unbelief. The sinful reality of our unbelief. Uh, Dr. Jim Bergen, in his book called Quieting a Noisy Soul, he defined belief as the great disorder of the heart. 
Again, unbelief is a disorder because it accepts the reasoning of man, which is he calls futile in Romans 12.1, over the revelation of God. And if we accept the, the reasonings of fallen man over the revelations of God, we are committing unbelief. Again, it's a lie. It's a fantasy. It's the great disorder. The great disorder that God is not good enough for me. God has not done enough for me. He is not enough for me. And I need something more. Those are the underpinnings of unbelief. So what are some of the ways that we reveal this in practical life? Well, number one, we get emotional. We get emotional. In other words, we are quick to worry. Unbelief leads to discontentment. Discontentment leads to anxiety. We stress over thinking, well, I know God knows what I need, but what if I don't get it? (laughs) And we worry. Of course, one of the greatest examples in the New Testament is Martha. Martha, Martha. (laughs) We talk about her. Remember in Luke 10, came to pass, he went to enter a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, which was also at Jesus' feet, and heard his words. Here's a picture, Martha in the kitchen, Mary at Jesus' feet, and Martha sees a problem. But Martha was cumbered, or she was distracted about much serving. Maybe she knew that she should be in there sitting at Jesus' feet too, but she was distracted because these people all need food, and i got to feed them, and and how am I going to do it? And uh, the worry about in her heart. And so that worry led to distress. And then she realized, well, I don't have all the help I need. I need more help. And there's Mary sitting there doing nothing. (laughs) i got to get some help. So what does she do? She goes to Christ. Lord, dost thou not care that my sister left me to serve alone? Bitter, therefore, that she help me. What did Jesus say? Martha, Martha, you are great. You are careful or you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which will be, not be taken away from her. So she worried. What is worry? Worry is meditation. <laughs> it's meditating on what could go wrong. Adam and Eve worried about the consequences of their sin. Genesis 3, 7, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Why? Well, they were worried that he might, what might happen if God saw them? I mean, nobody else was around to see them except themselves and God. And Apostle John nails it for us in 1 John 3, 21. He said, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God. It is the opposite of trusting. Our hearts can feel a lack of confidence in our choices and affect our actions towards God and others. The good news, of course, is that God understands. Psalm 103, 14, for he knoweth our frame, he remembers we're dust. And so he gives us what we need He is enough for us when times of anxious worry come. And he wants us not to be unbelieving and worry. So not only do we get emotional, we also get rational. Number two, we get rational. It means we are quick to explain our sin. Adam and Eve had to explain, or of course Adam had to explain his participation in eating the fruit with Eve. Genesis 3.12, man said, Look at the blame game going on here. The woman that thou gavest me, she gave me the tree and I did eat it. You ever heard that little story? When you point your finger at somebody, you have three pointing back at you. Look at this verse. Do you realize he mentioned the woman twice, mentioned God once, but he actually mentions himself three times. 
So the woman thou gave me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. He was really, in a sense, blaming himself, too, not knowingly. Again, he blames God and blames Eve. Adam is doing just what fallen man does. The blame game had never been played in the Garden of Eden before. Now it was. We blame people. If that person had interfered, or if that person had helped me, or if that person had given me something, or we blame circumstances, if that thing hadn't broken, or hadn't showed up, or been too easy to access. Or we blame God. Oh, he hasn't given me what I wanted, or he didn't stop me from doing what I shouldn't do. We blame him. You know, Saul had to explain the bleeding of the sheep. He had been commanded by God to destroy the Amalekites. But he kept some sheep and some oxen and Agag, the king. And Samuel shows up to kind of ruin his party. Samuel said, what meaneth then the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, hear the blame game again? They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. Now listen very carefully. To sacrifice unto the Lord your God. Who's he blaming? Well, Samuel, it's your God. We're getting all these sheep for him because you told us to sacrifice. And it's also God's fault because if we didn't have to sacrifice these sacrifices, the people wouldn't have gotten the sheep. You see the blame game going here? We do the same thing. We're very creative in our explanations. We do things wrong, don't we? The dog ate it. You know, the devil made me do it. All those things. But 1 John ruins every one of our explanations. Because 1 John 1 verse 8 says, If we say we have no sin, why well, didn't say, oh, it wasn't sin. What did we say? We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, what are we if the truth is not in us? We're liars. But we don't like being called liars. So what do we do? Well, we pass the blame on. Because verse 10 tells us, 1 John 1, 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. We don't want to be called a liar, so we will say, well, God's a liar. God's not good. God's not loving. All those things in the Bible aren't really true. Because we want to keep our sin instead of our belief. So when we declare our innocence, we're deceiving ourselves and calling God a liar. You know, a person may say, well, I'm a Christian and I know I can sin. But when I really examine my life, it's really, it was weakness. It was failure. It wasn't really sin. Now, I may have to admit that I'm weak, but I'm not going to admit that I'm a sinner. Well, we want to call it anything else but sin. This reaction, of course, reveals our disbelief in the omniscience of God, what God tells us we know to be true. So our belief is revealed by our emotional. We get emotional, we get rational, and thirdly, we get deceitful. Because we are quick to hide our sin. So number three, we get deceitful. We're quick to hide our sin. Remember Jonah, what he tried to do? God said, go to Nineveh and preach to them. I'm going to judge them. That should have been a happy message for him. He didn't like Nineveh. Yeah, I'm going to go tell them that God's going to judge you. Yeah, I like that message. But maybe he was afraid of what they might say about him. These were pretty nasty people. They did a lot of really nasty things to people. History tells us. But he also knew the mercy of God. That if he preached that message, God just might have mercy on them and not destroy them. And he would rather see them destroyed. So what does he do? Well, Jonah 1.3 says that he, he fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. 
In the verse says he went to Tarsus from the presence of the Lord, trying to get away from God's presence, as if God wouldn't know. Of course, his fear and his bitterness toward the Ninevites moved him to disobey God and to hide from him. But fortunately, God knew where he was, and he prepared a fish, didn't he, to find him and to rescue him from his own problem. Adam and Eve tried to hide in the garden, too. They heard the voice of God walking in the garden, the cool of the day. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. You know, this is the first game of hide-and-seek in the, in, the, in the woods. Okay. They tried to hide themselves. Do we really believe the Bible says about the knowledge of God? Listen to what Isaiah, Jeremiah says, Jeremiah 16, 17, For mine eyes are upon all their ways. They are not hid from my face. Neither is there iniquity hid from mine eyes. Jeremiah 22, 23, Am I God at hand or close by, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places that I cannot see him, says the Lord? Or do, I, do not I fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? I am everywhere. This is where the, the omnipresence of God merges with the omniscience of God, and we can't hide from him. Jeremiah, of course, the New Testament writers of Hebrews says the same thing. In Hebrews 4, verse 13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and opened unto the eyes with whom we have to do. Again, because he is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our hearts, we can't hide from him. Again, the great disorder of our heart, disbelief or unbelief, reveals itself when we are emotional and are quick to worry, when we get rational and we're quick to explain our sin, and we are deceitful and are quick to hide our sin. But what should we be showing? What evidence should we be showing in our life that we believe in the omniscience of God? So we see the true belief evidence, letter B in your notes, the true belief evidence. Here's a question we ought to ask. Are you dependent? Are you dependent? Not emotional or worrying, but are you dependent? Are you quick to trust in God? We just sang a song a moment ago. Trust, do you trust in God? I hope you do. You sang the song. First Peter 5, verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, we see the character of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. A person who trusts God's omniscience, instead of keeping things bottled up inside, they cast him before the Lord. You know what it means to cast? Well, I'm not talking about casting a fishing rod. The word here kind of has an idea as imagine one day you're a mother and your child comes from outside and he says, Mom, look at what I got, and puts a spider in your hand. Oh, that's a pretty spider. No, you, you cast it. <laughs> you, you, you want to get rid of it out of your hand. You, you don't want that spider in your hand. Get rid of it. You know, or it's a turtle or it's a snake or whatever. You cast it because you don't want it anywhere near you and you scream while you're doing it. Well, God says, oh, I want you to cast all your anxieties on me. Anxiety lands in your hand. Well, get rid of it. Cast it before the Lord. That's what our, a natural person who trusts God's omniscience will do. Instead of holding on and worrying, we cast it before the Lord. You know, Matthew 6, verse 30 tells us, you know, God takes care of the grass. Uh, I'm, are you worried about me clothing you a little faith? Or take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we be clothed? All the questions every teenager ever asks. What are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? You know, we, we worry about those things. 
And God says, well, that's what the Gentiles do. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. So what is our, what is our response? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Put our cast them upon him. Seek what he wants us to do. And then he'll add all these things to us. Matthew 6.33. Instead of worrying, do you trust the knowledge of God? Everyone knows Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know the first word, right? Trust in the Lord. With what? All thine heart. And lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, because he knows you, and he knows everything. And he shall direct your paths. Sarah, in her bitterness to not have a child, went to Abraham and said, I want you to take Hagar, have a child through her. And he did. And Hagar got pregnant. And immediately Sarah got you know, incensed and threw, you know, got angry. And, and Hagar had to run away. And Hagar runs into the wilderness and comes at a well. And she's about ready to die. And she, she just wants to give up. And an angel, though, comes to her. He says, don't be afraid. Go back to Sarah. Your child you're going to have, I'm going to bless that child too. It's still Abraham's child. And, he's, she's, and she responds to the angel by calling God La Hiroi, or the God who sees. In Genesis 16, 13, she called the name of the Lord that spake to her, Thou God seest me. For she said, I have, have I also here looked after him who seeth me. She, began, she, she put her praise in the God that she knew saw her where she was in her distress. And cared for her. We too need to look to that same God who sees us and knows us and trusts him. So he sees and he knows we should become dependent on his knowledge. Number two, we also, another question, are you compliant? Are you compliant, not rational? Are you quick to believe God's opinion about your sin? When the word of God or the Holy Spirit comes to you or maybe a good godly brother or sister in Christ comes to you and reproves you for a sin that you're committing, what's your response? Do you believe God's opinion or your own? Are you compliant with God's opinion of your sin? Again, when confronted with Nathan the prophet came to David, he immediately admitted his sin. He did not hide it. See, God had been working on his heart for nine months <laughs> when that baby was being born. He had committed great sin. He was miserable. So he confessed his sin. Psalm 51 is, again, his, his song of tears, in a sense, where I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me. How do you label your sin? Well, that person's fault. Or is it my sin, my disobedience, my unbelief? Our tendency is to underestimate the blackness of our sin. Remember, your sin, your personal sin, caused, the Lord, caused God to send the Lord Jesus Christ to a cross where he suffered great things for your sin. If it wasn't a great sin, he wouldn't have had to die a great death. But because our sin is great, he sent the only substitute that would matter and he had him suffer for our sake. Our sin is dark. So we be compliant. Number three, though, last thing, we need to be transparent. Not deceitful. We need to be transparent. Again, are we quick to confess our sin? It's one thing to believe God's opinion of our sin. It's another to verbally confess it. 
with words like, I was wrong. But we have the promises of God. That confession is what God already knows about us, and he wants to give us joy and mercy. And it shouldn't be too hard to confess our sins to God because he already knows them. He just wants us to repeat what he already knows. Proverbs 28, 13, He that covereth his sin what shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. David was honest. Psalm 51, 4 again. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in his sight. He names it and he confesses it before God. He realizes the most important relationship in the world had been hurt. And that was a relationship with God. Remember the prodigal son? As he is standing knee-deep in the filth of pigs, he finally comes to himself after losing everything he had. He says, I need to go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He had, maybe he wasn't really quick to realize it, but he was very thorough in his confession. See, there were two fathers he had sinned against. There was a father in heaven, and there was a father on earth. And he had to confess to both. Again, we have the wonderful promise of God, 1 John 1, 1.9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and he then restores to us the joy of our salvation. How miserable it is to have sin unconfessed but how joyful it is to know it's been put under the blood of Christ. So are you dependent or emotional? Are you compliant or are you rational? Are you transparent with your sin or are you deceitful? The answer to those questions will reveal how much you really believe in the omniscience of God. So do you really believe? And may we pray like Hannah prayed in 1 Samuel 2 where she magnifies the character of God. She had just given a son, Samuel. And she sang this song, There is none holy as the Lord. There is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. Don't be so prideful. You don't understand the character of God. And she says this in verse 3, For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. What belief are your actions revealing? I like the hymn, Take Time to Be Holy. Take time to be holy, be calm in thy soul, each thought and each motive under his control. Thus led by his spirit to fountains of love, soon, thou soon shall be fitted for service above. But we need to take time to be holy. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for time for your word. Thank you for all you've given to us. Thank you for the blessings of your word. But help us, Lord, to be willing to show by our actions that we really do believe that you know everything and that you're always with us. Help us to be comforted by that truth. Lord, also help us to that truth to motivate us to keep short accounts with you so that our relationship with you would not be burdened during this coming new year. We might be able to truly trust you and serve you with all of our hearts. We thank you that you know all things. Help us to act according to that truth. We pray these things in your name. Amen.